Chapter Three of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. Though I have not gone very far into my history, I have learned to hate being my own historian, stringing I and I and I together to the end of the chapter. Nevertheless, I believe that no man's history can be so well told as by himself, if he will but be candid for no one can so completely enter into his feelings or have so vivid an impression of the circumstances amidst which he has acted notwithstanding this it shall be my endeavour to pass over the events of my youth as rapidly as possible for the purpose of arriving at that part of this history where the stirring nature of the scenes in which i mingled may cover the egotism of the detail but still as there are persons and occurrences yet unmentioned by which my after-life was entirely modified, I must still pause a little on this part of my tale. Faithful to the charge she had undertaken, my mother made the education of Helen Arnault her particular care. At first she confined her instructions to those arts alone which were likely to be useful to her in the bourgeoise class in which she had been born. But there was a degree of ready genius mixed with the infinite gentleness of Helen's disposition, which gradually seduced my mother into teaching her much more than she had at first intended. Nor was she ill-qualified for the task, possessing every female accomplishment, both mental and corporeal, in as much perfection as they had received in those days. At first the education of the sweet girl, thus placed under her protection, formed a sort of amusement for her, when my father and myself were absent in any of the long rides we used to take through the country, Gradually it became so habitual as to be necessary to her comfort, and Helen so completely wound herself round the Countess's heart that she could not bear to be without her for any considerable length of time. Perhaps it was the very attachment which she herself experienced towards Helen that made my mother feel how strong might be the effect of such sweetness and such beauty at some after time upon the heart of an ardent, sensitive, imaginative youth and my mother from the first knew me to be such. Whatever was the cause, certain it is she took care that between Helen and myself should be placed a barrier of severe and chilling formality, calculated to repress the least intimacy in its very bud. Whenever she mentioned my name to her young protégé, it was always under the ceremonious epithet of Count Louis. Whenever I entered the room, Helen Arnault was sent away upon some excuse which prevented her return, or, if she was permitted to remain, there was a sort of courtly etiquette maintained, well calculated to freeze all the warmer blood of youth. All this my mind has commented on since, though I only regarded it at the time as something very disagreeable, without in the least understanding why my mother chose to play so very different a part from that which suited her natural character. She certainly acted for the best, but I think she was mistaken in her judgment of the means to be employed for effecting her object. It is probable that had she suffered me at the first to look upon Helen Arnault as a sister, and taught her to consider me as her brother, the feelings which we acquired towards each other at ten and twelve years old would have remained unchanged at a later period. God knows how it would have been. I am afraid that all experiments upon young hearts are dangerous things. The only remedy is, I believe, a stone wall, 
and the example of Pyramus and Thisbe demonstrates that even it must not have a crack in it. As it was, the years rolled on, and I began to acquire the sensations of manhood. I saw Helen Arnault but by glimpses, but I saw nothing on earth so lovely. Every day new beauties broke forth upon me, and it was impossible to behold her hour by hour expanding into the perfection of womanhood without experiencing those feelings with which we see a bud open out into the rose, a wish to possess so beautiful a thing. In the meanwhile, several changes took place in our vicinity, the most important of which was the arrival of a neighbour. The Chateau de Lorme stood, as I have said, upon the side of the hill, commanding an extensive view through the valley below. It had originally been nothing more than one of those towers to be found in every gorge of the Pyrenees, built in times long past to defend the country from the incursions of the Moors of Spain. After the expulsion of the infidels from the peninsula, it had been converted into a hunting residence for the Counts of Bigorre, and a great many additions had been made to it, according to the various tastes of a long line of proprietors, who had each in general followed the particular style of architecture which accorded with its own immediate pursuits. The more warlike had built towers and walls and turrets and battlements. One of the counts dying without children, it had fallen into the hands of his brother, who was a bishop. He added a Gothic chapel and a dormitory for ecclesiastics. His nephew, a famous lawyer and president de Grenoble, no sooner succeeded than he built an immense hall exactly copied from the hall of justice in which he had so often presided and others of different dispositions had equally taken care of the stables, the dairy, and the kitchen. In short, they had been like the fairies called to the birth of a child in our nursery tales. Each had endowed the building with some particular gift, so that on the whole, though somewhat straggling and irregular, it contained an apartment of every kind, sort, and description that could be wanted or wished for. In one of the square towers, built upon the edge of a steep rock, some ninety feet in height my father had fixed his library here he could read whatever book he chose in a quiet dozy sort of manner without hearing any noise from the rest of the house though at the same time he just caught through the open windows the murmuring of the waterfall below and could look up from what he was perusing and run his eye through all the windings of the valley with a dreamy contemplative listlessness in which he was very fond to indulge at about a quarter of a mile from the chateau, and amongst the first objects within the scope of my father's view, as he sat in this library, was a small house which had belonged to some of the wealthier retainers of the family, when it had been in its flush prosperity. This had since passed into the hands of a farmer, at the time that my grandfather had judged proper to diminish the family estate, and expend its current representative in gunpowder and cannonballs. But a year or two before the time to which I refer, it had become vacant by the death of its occupier, and had remained shut up ever since. Little care being taken to keep this house in repair, it formed a sort of eyesore in my father's view, and regularly every month he declared he would repurchase it and arrange it according to his own taste, with a degree of energy and even vehemence of manner, which would have led anyone who did not know him to suppose that within an hour the purchase would be completed and the alterations put in train but the moment he had shut the library door behind him he began to think of something else 
and before he was in the courtyard he had forgotten all about it one morning however he was not a little surprised to see the windows of the house opened and two or three workmen of various kinds employed in rendering it habitable without giving himself time to recover from his astonishment or to forget the change he sent down the lackey to inquire the name of its new occupier and in short the whole particulars how the man executed his commission i know not but the reply was that the chevalier de montenero would do himself the honour of waiting upon the count de bigorre my father said very well and resolved to have everything prepared to receive this new neighbour with ceremony but finding that the arrangements required a good deal of thought he resolved to leave them all to my mother and was proceeding to her apartments for the purpose of casting the weight of it upon her shoulders when in the corridor he met little helen arnault who had then been with us about six months began playing with and caressing her forgot the chevalier de montenero and went out to ride with me towards bigorre on our return we found a strong iron grey horse saddled in the courtyard and were informed that the chevalier de montenero was in the apartments of madame la comtesse on following my father thither i instantly recognised the person we had seen in the étude of the procureur de l'ordre the sight i will own was a pleasing one to me for from the moment i had first beheld him i had wished to hear and see more there was a sort of dignity in his aspect that struck my boyish imagination and captivated me in a way i cannot account for i am well aware that on every principle of right reasoning the theory of innate sympathies is one of the most ridiculous that ever the theory-mongers of this earth produced but yet though strange it is no less a fact which every one must have felt that there are persons whom we meet in the world and who without one personal beauty to attract and even before we have had any opportunity of judging of their minds obtain a sort of hold upon our feelings and imagination more powerful than long acquaintance with their qualities of mind could produce perhaps it may proceed from some association between their persons and our preconceived ideas of goodness the chevalier de montenero however in his youth must have been remarkable for personal beauty and the strongest traces of it remained even yet though in this respect years had been the less merciful inasmuch as they had been leagued with care deep lines of painful and anxious thought were evident on the chevalier's forehead and in his cheek but it was not thought of a mean or sordid nature the grandeur of his brow the erect unshrinking dignity of his carriage all contradicted it powerful or rather overpowering passions might perchance speak forth in the flash of his dark eye but the expression for good or bad was still great and elevated there was something also that might be called impenetrable in his air it was that of a man long accustomed to bury matters of much import deep in his own bosom and very few i believe would have liked to ask him an impertinent question in manner he was mild and grave and though his name was evidently spanish and his whole dress and appearance betrayed that he had very lately arrived from that country yet he spoke our language with perfect facility and without the slightest foreign accent i believe the pleasure i felt in seeing him again showed itself in somewhat of youthful gladness and as he was not a man to despise anything that was pure and unaffected he seemed gratified by my remembrance 
and invited me to visit him in his solitude i mean madame said he turning to my mother to make the house which i have bought in the valley a hermitage in almost everything but the name but if you will occasionally permit your son to cheer it with his company i shall be the happier in the society of one who as yet is certainly uncorrupted by this bad world and in return he may perhaps learn from me some of that law which long commerce with my fellow-creatures and such familiarity with great and strange events have taught me i eagerly seized on the permission and from that day whenever my mood turned towards the serious and the thoughtful my steps naturally followed the path towards the dwelling of the chevalier i may say that i won his affection and much did he strive to correct and guide my disposition to high and noble objects marking keenly every propensity in my nature and endeavouring to direct them aright there was a charm in his conversation an impressive truth in all he said that both persuaded and convinced and had i followed the lessons of wisdom i heard from his lips i should have been both happier and better in my after-life but the struggle of youthful passion was ever too strong for reason and for many years of my being i was but a creature of impulse carried away by the wish of the moment and forgetting at the time i most needed them all the resolutions i had founded upon the experience of others the chevalier evidently saw and regretted the wildness of my disposition but i do not think he loved me the less there was something in it that harmonized with his own character for often notwithstanding all that he had learned in the impressive school of the world the original enthusiasm of his heart would shine out in spite of the veil of stern coldness with which he covered his warmer feelings this i remarked afterwards but suffice it in this place to say that his regard for me assumed a character of almost paternal tenderness which i ever repaid by a respect and reverence i am afraid more than filial in his manners to every one but the members of our family he was distant and cold but it seemed as if towards us his heart had expanded from the first my mother he would often visit behaving on such occasions with the calm elegant attention of high-bred courtesy never stiffening into coldness or sinking into familiarity with my father he would sit for many hours at a time conversing over various subjects of life and morals with which even to my young mind it was apparent that he was actively and practically acquainted why my father though perhaps his reasoning was as good spoke evidently but from what he had read and what he had heard without the clear precision of personal knowledge other acquaintances also though of an inferior class and very different character must now be mentioned though neither their habits of life or rank in society were calculated to throw much lustre on those who any way consorted with them the excessive height to which the gabelle had carried the price of salt acted as one of the greatest encouragements to those spanish smugglers who have in all times frequented the various passes of the pyrenees and distinguished themselves by a daring and reckless courage and a keen penetrating sagacity which might have raised them individually to the highest stations of society if employed for the nobler and better purposes of existence it unfortunately happens in the world that talent is less frequently wanting than the wisdom to employ it and many men who to my knowledge might have established their own fortune served their country and rendered their name immortal 
have wasted grand abilities upon petty schemes and heroic courage upon disgraceful enterprises so was it though in a minor degree with many of the spanish smugglers that were continually passing to and fro in our immediate neighbourhood and a braver or more ingenious race of men never existed of course they were not without their aiders and abettors on the french side of the mountains and it was very generally supposed that the mill near which i had fallen into the water was a great receptacle for the contraband goods which they imported however nothing of the kind was to be discovered although the officers of the gabelle called gabellateurs and the douanier or custom-house officers had visited it at all times and seasons the mill had never been found clear and fair and the miller a quiet civil sort of person who let them look where they listed and took it all in good part notwithstanding all this fair appearance which baffled even the keen eyes of those interested in the discovery and deceived completely all who were not interested in the smuggling itself whenever my father wanted some good alicante wine or xeres or anything else of the same nature he sent to the miller who was always found ready to oblige monseigneur le comte often also in my childhood did i visit the mill in company with the old maitre d'hôtel whose predilection for the good things of this life especially in the form of liquids would have led him to cultivate the acquaintance of the devil himself if he had appeared with a bottle of wine under his arm many was the curious scene that i thus saw now floating faintly before my memory as a remembered dream and many were the means employed to make the amiable practice of smuggling palatable to the taste of the air of bigorre oranges and pomegranates and dates were always brought forward to gratify the young count and my bold and daring spirit even as a child excited the admiration and delight of many of the dark smugglers who used in return to tell me long stories of their strange adventures which heightened by the barbarous yet picturesque dialect that they spoke excited my fancy to the utmost and sent me away with my brain full of wild imaginations very often if any of these men had something peculiarly rare or curious to dispose of they went so far as to bring it up to the chateau de l'orme where my father generally became a purchaser notwithstanding a remonstrance which my mother would occasionally venture to make against the encouragement of persons habitually infringing the law of the land our family thus acquired the reputation amongst the smugglers of being their patrons and benefactors and violent in all their passions whether good or bad their gratitude was enthusiastic in proportion one of them named pedro garcias deserves more particular notice than the rest on many accounts when i first knew him he was a man of about forty perhaps more but time and danger and excited passion and fatigue had made as little impression upon him as the soft waves of some sheltered bay do upon the granite rocks that surround it he was born at the little village of haka on the other side of the mountains the son of a wealthy farmer who afforded him an education much superior to his rank in life the blood of his ancestors they said was mingled with that of the moors but instead of feeling this circumstance as a stain upon his race like most of his countrymen he seemed rather to glory in his descent from a valiant and conquering people and to exult in the african fire that circled in his veins his complexion was not peculiarly swarthy though his long stiff black hair and flashing eyes 
spoke out in favour of his Moorish origin. In height he was nearly six feet three inches, but instead of any of the awkward disproportion which we sometimes see in tall people, his form was cast in the most exquisite mould of vigorous masculine beauty. There existed between his mind and person that similarity which we more frequently find amongst the uncultivated children of nature than where education has changed the character or impeded its development. His intellect and all his perceptions were strong, powerful, and active, with a certain cast of fearless grandeur about them that gave something great and fine even to the employment he had chosen. His disposition also was quick, hasty, and unsparing, but full of a rude, enthusiastic generosity that would have taught him to die for those he considered his friends, and also a bold dignity which led him to trust to daring more than cunning. He had in his nature much of the beast of prey, but it was of the nobler kind. Heaven knows how, with so many qualities of mind and person, qualities calculated to raise him above, rather than sink him below, the station in which he was born, heaven knows how he fell into the perilous but inglorious life of a simple contrabandisto between France and Spain. This man was one of the smugglers who most frequently visited the chateau, and it sometimes happened that the intermediation of the old maître d'hôtel was dispensed with, and that he would be admitted to the audience of my father himself, which generally lasted a considerable time, for Garcias possessed that sort of natural eloquence which, mingled with a degree of caustic humour, was sure to command attention, and to engage without wearying. There was something, too, in his very appearance that attracted and interested. Certainly never was a more picturesque, I may say a more striking, figure seen than he presented, as I have beheld him often coming down amongst the mountains, whose child he seemed to be. His long black hair gathered into a net under his broad sombrero, his cloak of chequered cloth, mantling all the upper part of his figure, and only leaving free the left hip, with the steel hilt of his sword, and the right arm ready to make use of it, while his legs, whose swelling muscles told of their gigantic strength, appeared striding underneath, covered to the knees with the tight elastic silk breeches of the Aragonese mountaineers. The rest of his dress generally consisted of a brown cloth jacket, a crimson sash round his waist, containing his pistols and a long knife, white stockings and a pair of mountain sandals made of untowned cowhide, laced up to his ankle. Such were the various persons that surrounded me in my youth, and such, indeed, were the only ones with whom I had any communication, except the young Jean-Baptiste Arnaud, who used to come frequently to see his sister. Her father troubled himself very little about her after she was once fairly under the protection of my mother, but her brother was not so remiss, and whenever he came was received with kindness by all the family, not suffered to depart without some little token of regard. For my own part, the memory of the service he had rendered me remained ever upon my mind, and showed itself in every way that my youthful imagination could devise, till, at length, the good, simple-hearted lad, from the person obliging, began to feel himself de-obliged, and both feelings mingling in his heart together, produced towards me the most generous and disinterested attachment. I have said that I was between twelve and thirteen years old when Helen Arnaud first became an inmate of the same dwelling. Two years rapidly passed by, 
and not long after I had reached the age of fourteen, I was sent to the college of Pau, where three years and a half more glided away in unperturbed tranquillity, calm, quiet, slow. But what a change had taken place in all my thoughts and feelings by the time they had passed! I was farther advanced both in stature, in form, and ideas than most youths of my age. Childhood was gone, manhood was at hand. I left the placid, innocent bowers of infancy with their cool and passionless shades, and I stood with my footsteps on the threshold of man's busy and tumultuous theatre, ready to plunge into the arena and struggle with the rest. My heart full of strong and ardent passions, my imagination vivid and uncontrolled, with some knowledge gained from books and some shrewd sense of my own, but with little self-government and no experience, I set out from Pau to return to my paternal mansion, and as from that day I may date the commencement of a new existence, I will pause and begin my manhood with a chapter to itself. End of chapter 3